Hello and welcome to a special holiday edition of the Big Topic in Women's MMA. Frank Posen here along with Schwan Humes. Uh, Merry Christmas to everybody. Merry Christmas to you, Schwan. Uh, how's it going down there? Oh, it's going fine. Kids are happy with everything, so as long as they're happy, I'm happy. It's the way it goes as a parent. Okay. Yeah, we got a little bit of snow up here last night, but they cleaned it up, and uh, I was able to go out this morning, so that's the main thing. Okay, uh, we're going to do uh, – don't forget to check out my blog at frankie316.blogspot.com and also my other podcast, uh, Frank Posey's Big Bad Podcast. Uh, my friend Charlie uh, was on the show this week to talk about uh, last weekend's Deep Jewels show. He lives in Japan, and he went to the show. We're going to talk about that a little bit, but uh, we're going to do our year-end edition here because we're, uh, UFC doesn't come back until uh, January 16th. Okay, so let's start with the uh, two fights from last Saturday. Both videos for these fights are up on my blog. The first one had uh, Penny Tianzad uh, beating uh, Sajari Eubanks uh, by unanimous decision. I uh, wasn't particularly surprised by this. Panny uh, is a fairly, fairly large for a uh, a bantamweight, and so she had he had she had a significant size advantage over Sajara. So uh, Sajara won the first round, but I guess she got pooped out because Panny made some adjustments and she beat her up pretty good in the other two rounds. Yeah, um, Sajara Sajara's got a decent skill set. What she doesn't have is size, athleticism, as far as explosiveness, punching power, and cardio. You can't be lacking in all three of those areas and be a world class athlete in any sport anywhere you, you're just impossible she's been getting by recently because she's made some adjustments as far as her defensive awareness on the feet her, her ability to put combinations together and attack the body as well and now she's actively looking to work on the ground but the problem against panny kansas is not that kansas is so great or she made such an adjustment kansas works at a high rate kansas is very physical kansas is big for the weight class and she's strong you taking her down is fine if she's going to be like julia avila and and just throw up submissions and let you maintain control. But Kansas wasn't doing that. She's trying to get submissions. She's trying to reverse. She's trying to hit switches. She's trying to create scrambles. She's fighting every submission attempt. She's fighting you for control. And when you're fighting a bigger, stronger, better conditioned athlete on the ground, that, that's a lot of energy to waste. So even though Eubanks maintained control for the entirety of the round, Eubanks also burned a lot of energy. Because in that second round, when she tried those takedowns, she didn't change levels. She, she changed levels a little bit. She, she didn't really drop levels. She didn't really drive through for the takedown. And when she got her hands on her, she couldn't really move her because she was dead tired. She didn't have the energy. So it looked like Kianza had made an adjustment. But all Kianza did was, was basically defend takedowns, but she's defending takedowns from somebody who's completely exhausted. And she basically just took over throwing combinations, getting in clinches, chopping up Sajara and defending takedowns. But Sajara was dead tired. If Kianza was a better athlete or better technician, she could have put Eubanks away because Eubanks had nothing. Eubanks was fighting in, fighting in spots for the next two rounds. The Kianza couldn't put her away because she lacks the skills and the athleticism herself. That's why she's, as you call her, a mid-card fighter. Yeah, and I think the thing is, uh, Panny is going to be fighting better fighters at this point. And... Uh... I, I don't see her being all that successful. No, um, the problem is she, again, if you look at her record with the people she's beaten, she's been able to basically kind of bully them like what, against, um, against uh, what's her name, uh, Betch. She was essentially just bullied Betch. And even late in that fight, she kind of got tired because Betch was able to hang in there and Betch was able to exploit her a little bit technically. 
and against Sajara, even though she had a physical physical advantage and she could bully her and outwork her, at no point was Sajara really close to being finished because Panny doesn't have that athleticism or that power. And when she fought Jessica Rose Clark, Jessica Rose Clark is is a girl who's who's not really a, a band of weight herself and doesn't have a lot of athleticism, size, or physicality to herself either. When she's faced girls with some athleticism, Macy Chiasen didn't win. Julia, Julia, Julia Avila, she got beat up and bullied. So when she doesn't have an advantage or when, that, when she's facing lesser athletes, she can dictate space, she can grind them down. But when she's facing girls who have some athleticism, she never looks as good. She's never as dominant. And Sajara really doesn't belong in this. No, she, she's too small for the weight class. And at this rate, against this caliber athlete, and this is in a really thin division, she, she just doesn't have the power to, to, to make up for the fact that she can't fight at pace. And she doesn't have the pace to make up for the fact that she can't she didn't have knockout power. She's she's actually improved. Her body punching is great. Her combinations are getting better. Her defensive awareness is better. Her how she's fighting is much more high IQ than it's been. But she can't overcome overcome the fact that she can't fight a hard two rounds. If she could fight a hard two rounds, she she wouldn't have won. She wouldn't have lost her last three or four fights. But the fact that she can't fight a hard two rounds, and if you make her work really hard the first round, she's either going to throw away the second. She's either going to be so tired she she can't fight hard for the next two, or she's going to throw away the next round trying to recover. So she, she can close out strong in the third round. And you can't yeah, fight like that, especially it, if you're not a bad. finisher. Yeah, it's too bad she couldn't make flyweight because she would have been fine there. Yep. She just couldn't make the weight. She ruined herself. Okay, ruined let's, herself. Go on, let's go on to the other fight. Taylor Santos beat Jillian Robertson by unanimous decision. And I guess with Jillian, it's like you live by the takedown and you die by the takedown. And uh, she really she tr- went for a flying arm bar. Early in round one, uh, I think she did it because uh, earlier in the show, Jimmy Slick won with a flying triangle, and she wanted to get that bonus right. But it was—it turned out to be such an awful idea, and she just lost the fight from there. And it's not like Taylor came close to submitting her or anything. It's just that she stayed on top of her, and you know, Jillian wasn't able to really do anything with her. She tried to make some get submissions from the bottom, but you can't win from the bottom. There's a theory. People have made Jillian Robertson think that she's some kind of dynamo on the, on the ground, and she's a very good grappler. Her, her wrestling is not actually bad. Her transition on, in wrestling positions isn't bad. Her ability to gain position and submit is, is actually very good. It might be elite for the weight class, but there's a difference between being elite for the weight class and being elite, period. The fact of the matter is how you get to the ground how you get to the ground matters for most fighters. Even fighters as good as, you know, uh, Damian Maya, Gunnar Nelson, guys who are really high class, um, Charles Oliveira, how you get to the ground is going to impact what you do and how long you're able to survive on there. Jillian, because she has no striking game, it, if you watch her fights enough, she resorts to some really bad shots, some really bad body lock attempts, some really crazy takedowns because she knows that she doesn't have a way to get into, posi- in, into certain positions without getting chopped up or punished by strikes. So she tries something crazy, and that's fine if you can get it or if you're facing somebody who has no grappling skills because then you can control them or submit them. But when facing a fighter who's got some physicality and some size and has some grappling chops, you're going to end up with what happened to her on Saturday night where Talia just basically grinded on her, stayed close to her, and stayed busy enough for them to not force the fight back up on the feet. Jillian didn't want any parts of any sort of striking exchange because she had, in my opinion, she had no confidence in her striking exchange and her striking and she shouldn't every fight she's had to strike for even a decent amount of time she's gotten beaten up in 
She's only one because she's been able to force fights to the ground and get submissions. She does not have a striking game, and she's not a good enough athlete or wrestler to do that. Work and, and that didn't even work here. No. Yeah, she here. had the fight where she wanted it. Well, she, 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 it's better on the ground than she thought it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's basically. I mean, Talia is better on the ground than 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 people thought she was. But the fact that matters, even if you're a lead on the ground, how you get there matters. It just does. Mackenzie Dern's a lead on the ground, but when she got thrown on her back, she wasn't nearly as effective as she would have been if she would have got the takedown in a ser- and secured top position. She just Gillian has a big hole in her her fighting style, and it's hindering everything else. And if she doesn't get this fixed, she's not going to win one, lose one. She's going to start winning, losing two, three, and four. She's going to find herself out of the UFC very quickly. Yeah, uh, Taylor. Uh, I mean, we have to see her against uh, better opposition. I think. Yeah, beating up McCann and, and Robertson doesn't 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 make you elite. It just means you're better than the lower the lower quarter of the division. Yeah. Okay. Now but two wins uh, and two wins. Yeah, I know. So um, UFC will be back on January 16th on ABC, believe it or not. And they're actually running three shows that week. So uh, they're running on the 16th, the 20th. And the 23rd. So on the first, on the 14th, I guess the, the week before the 16th, we'll do the, the first two shows. Okay. Now, um, as I mentioned before, uh, there was a deep jewel show last Saturday and Charlie appeared on my other podcast to uh, discuss that show. And just a couple of quick things I wanted to go over with that. And that's that um, what they're, tr- what they were trying to do with this show is they've got a, uh, Adam weight tournament coming up in the, in the spring. And so they were kind of doing a preview of that. And so they had in the main event, they had, uh, what's her name? Siwoo Park from Korea facing Sari Oshima. And Siwoo Park is a teammate of Ham Sohee. Okay. And um, they call her Ham Sohee's little sister, but they're not related. They're just that's what they do in Japan sometimes. And this was a very close fight. Um Park would have won the fight, but she had a point taken off in round two and uh, for, I think, hitting back of the head or something like that. And so it ended up a draw. And what they do in, in, in uh, Deep Jewels is when two, the two judges uh, are tied, then they have the third judge um, uh, has, a, has, has to name a winner. So that's how she won the fight. But they'll both be in that tournament. Uh, Park, by the way, uh, her uh, boyfriend is a Japanese fighter, so she's living in Japan right now. So that's how she gets around the uh, quarantine and all that sort of stuff. She's not going back to Korea for now. Uh, in the uh, co-main event, uh, in the co-main event, uh, Mickey Matono, who is this uh, highly touted fighter out of ACC, she lost. Uh, so that was kind of a surprise. She's a straw weight. So that was one thing. Uh, the idol fighter that uh, Sagaru Seki is trying to develop, her name is Kate Lotus. She won her pro debut. She beat somebody who nobody ever heard of. So that tells me a lot. And the other story here is that uh, there was a girl uh, who uh, won an amateur fight, 17-year-old high school student. Her name is uh, Eru Takabayashi. And uh, she was so impressive in her amateur fight on this show that she's got a fight coming up on next week's Ryzen show. It's her pro debut on the Ryzen show. So you got uh, two uh, 
teenage fighters on on that show. So um, next week will be um, uh, the Ryzen show. The big match on that is um, Ayaka Hamasaki will defend the. Uh, um, well, I guess she's not the title. She's not the title right now. But anyways, it'll be Ayaka Hamasaki against Miu Yamamoto. Um, and I expect Ayaka to win. Miyu Yamamoto is the older sister of Kid Yamamoto. Uh, the problem is she's old. She's 45 years old. And so she gets tired very quickly. Uh, she doesn't live in Japan. She lives in Canada. Okay. She's basically been a wrestling coach for the last 20 years in Canada. So she just took up MMA like about two, three years ago. Sakakabara talked her into it. But she's not very good. Okay, so do you have any questions about any of this or any comments? Uh, no, this is this is. I'm just I'm just interested in listening to it. <laughs> I've, I've I'm interested in how different the business is done in other places outside of the U.S. Yeah, well, what they try. Well, the thing about the uh, the 17 year old fighter, um, what Sa- uh, Nobuyuki Sakagabara wanted to do is he wanted Rena to appear on the show. Okay, and fight the 17 year old uh, fighter. But um, and the reason he wanted Rena to fight on the show is because Rena is a ratings drum. Okay, so he wants to try and boost the ratings for Fuji on Fuji TV. And the problem is Rena is planning to retire. She has she's got, you know, two fights left. And I think on the second fight, she's going to retire. And. I don't think she really wanted to face an up-and-comer like that. She wants to – and what I think Sakagabara would like to do is bring over somebody from the U.S., but he can't do that right now, or he says he can't do that right now. But I think uh, he wanted her to face the, the, the 17-year-old kid, and she wouldn't do it. So I think she deserves better than that, doesn't she? Doesn't she deserve better they, than that? They, they have limited options for her, Swan. They have limited I mean, options she for her. Pay, is she, is she going to get paid very well to take this beating? Well, I don't know what they're going to do with her. The thing is, I, the thing is, yeah. I, I'm not sure. Okay. The, 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 the thing is, I'm not sure. To me, when you've been a dependable employee, they should be giving you a winnable fight or they should be paying you a hell of a lot of money to put somebody else over. That's yeah, all. Well, they're way not paying her a lot of money. I can tell you that much, but, uh, uh, you know, I can understand it. And, and I think, uh, uh, this fight that they do have set up will be will be a lot better. Now, uh, I'm going to be doing my other podcast. Uh, I'm not taking a break on that because I'm still doing the WWE. So after the Deep Jewels show, I'm going to have Charlie on on my podcast again to talk about the uh, the Ryzen show. Um, probably not this coming Tuesday, but the next Tuesday or something like that. Okay, so uh, we're going to take a. a a couple of weeks off, I guess, or something like that. But so what do we want to do is talk about uh, a couple of year end things and maybe talk about a couple of uh, uh, overall issues. Um, first, I want to talk about fight of the year. Well, this is the easy one. Uh, the women's MMA fight of the year was obviously Zhang Weili beating um, Joanna Radzicek back in February before everything got quarantined. Okay. And that was obviously the fight of the year. It may have been the fight of the year in the UFC. Okay. People have very short memories, but it may very well have been. 
And it's particularly notable because at the time, um, COVID-19 was running rampant in China. And so uh, uh, Zhang Weili had to move to Las Vegas to train. And she was moving all over the place. And so it was a very tough, tough uh, uh, training for her. But you know what? She delivered and she won. Joanna fought the best fight that she has fought in like about two, three years. And we still don't know if she's going to return. Uh, they're going to do uh, Zhang Veli versus Rose Namahunas in the new year. Um, give me your thoughts on this fight. Uh, I'd agree with you. I thought it was the best fight by far. Just be just the level of opposition. The fact that for the most part, the fight was give and take from round one to round five. It wasn't, I mean, you could obviously score that somebody won the round, but there were a lot of ebbs and flows in the fight. It wasn't just somebody clearly won a round and somebody was clearly taking beating at any one point. Anybody could have taken over the round. They showed the full array of skill sets. And, um, you know, Joanna was coming off some wins. Obviously, Wiley was coming off a win. So it was two fighters who were had some momentum and who, who stylistically fit to each other's strengths. They had weaknesses in areas the other person had strengths in. So as far as continued action, the level of opposition and their resume, it, I don't know that there's a, any other fight that comes close to it. Well, first thing, first thing is we don't know if Joanna is even going to return. Okay. It's possible she'll retire. There's, she still hasn't said anything. And the reason I say that is because I, I would do it about that. Sorry. I said, if I was her, I'd have to really think hard about it. I don't think she's got anything left to, to give at this point. Well, there's another reason for it. And that's that in po she's made her money in the fight business. Okay. Where she wants to make her money now is being a celebrity in Poland. Okay. And she, she can do all kinds of stuff there. She's got endorsements up to Ying Ying. She's written a book. Okay. She is planning to do movies and TV. In, in Poland. And she can do that because she's a celebrity there. She doesn't want to move to the U S she only moves to the U S to train at American top team, when she's got a fight coming up. Okay. So she, so, uh, so ultimately she wants to stay at home. Okay. And the way to do that is retire because she can, she, she can still make a good living doing stuff other than fighting. But I don't know if she really wants to fight or not. I mean, we, she has said nothing. So I don't know. I, I just, me personally, I don't see the purpose of it because I, I feel like when you have a performance like that, that win or lose, that's the best way to come off of it. But in increasingly in the past couple of years, she hasn't taken punishment as well as she's used to. And at this rate, at this age, with the way the division is going, it's just going to get worse and worse. So I, I don't see the point. It's not, there's no big money fight in the, in the division. There's nothing that's going to change her life as far as money. It's not going to make her any more famous. She's a she's a reached a certain amount of fame. She's made a certain amount of money. What really what is the purpose of going off any further? Yeah. Okay. Now the second uh, thing is a lot tougher. Uh, women's MMA fighter of the year. Okay. I actually don't really think there is one. Okay. Uh, um, hmm. The one fighter that I think has really upped her stock as far as the UFC is concerned is Amanda Rebus. Other than that, I, I don't know if there is any. What do you think, Sean? Um, I would say I don't know. 
I, I Rebus is good just because she's had such an impact, not just in the cage, but in her popularity. Like very quickly, she's turned into she's had a cult following, and t- and actually turned into what I consider a potential star in the U.S. Exactly. So that's a big thing, and she's had two very she's had some very good wins, and um, they weren't over scrubs. They they weren't over really established, you know, established high quality fighters, but they were over people who were experienced who've had success in UFC and were named. So you got to give her credit for that. But the person I thought had the best year, you know, outside of Amanda Nunes, but she didn't fight anybody. So I can't really be impressed with that. Um, It's going to be, it's going to be controversial, but I'm going to say it anyways. Juliana Velasquez from Bellator. I would put her as the WMMA fighter of the year. Um, She, she's, she's, she beat very good comp. She beat the best competition available and actually some very good seasoned fighters. And she won a title over from a dominant champion who'd been the only champion in that division, who basically was the uncrowned champion for a year, became the actual champion for another year, year and a half. And she beat her and beat her decisively and beat her fairly easily, too. And while she's not in the UFC, I'd say that in that division, she's she's probably a top three ranked fighter, maybe top top two. I think there's she could beat most of the girls in the UFC, to be quite honest. Yeah, I think she's a, a pretty good fighter. I haven't seen enough of her to comment on her. But like I said, uh, I don't get Bellator up here anymore, so that's the problem. And uh, uh, so I, well, yeah, I, I thought McFarland was good enough to compete in the UFC and be a top three or four fighter, and she beat her and made it look easy. So I, I feel like she could be in the UFC. I don't know that she'd be the champion, but I, I, I think she'd be no worse than third division. I think she beats ninety ninety five percent of the, position, the division fairly convincingly. Okay, so. Like I said, I, I don't really have a fighter of the year. Usually it's not that difficult to come up with that, but I don't really have one. Like I said, I like Amanda Rebus. We're going to see. The mine. problem is, you know, she had she was supposed to fight Carla Sparza, and that they decided not to do that. And then she was going to fight Michelle Waterson, and that got Michelle dropped out. So now she's fighting Marina Rodriguez, and that's just not as good a fight as as the other two. No, no, you're definitely. I mean, Revis. The thing, my concern for Revis is that she she's in same, she's in the same position Israel Adesanya was. She's dominated so, so completely, and she's so popular that once she gets to a certain point, the only thing they can do is keep pushing her. There'll be no steps back. So she beats. You know, she's already in that point right now. She beats another. She beats another seasoned person. They're just going to push her all the way to the title because she's too popular and she's do she's making it look too easy for them not to. I think the person who really keeps her, you know, on the straight and narrow is her dad. Like she's been training by, with her dad since she was a little girl, Marcelo Rivas. And he still is in her corner, okay, for every fight. So he manages her. He takes care. I mean, he keeps her straight, I think. Yeah, and that's what that's what I mean. I'm interested to see how it goes moving forward because generally kids trained by their parents, fighters especially, tend to burn out or their 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 parents tend to hit technical glass ceilings where they can no longer improve their kid. They've taken them as far as they can go, and at that point, the kid just is plateaus, becomes the same fighter for the next three or four years of their career. So it's interesting to see how that goes. But if it continues in this path, it'd be one of the better stories as far as a parent coaching a child. But usually that has a a fairly bad ending. You know, the fighter might get to a certain peak, but after that, they kind of plateau. And then you don't see any development from that fighter. And that's in boxing, that's in MMA. Hell, that's in other sports like football and basketball. So it's interesting to see if that helps or that hurts her moving forward. 
I think we would be remiss if we did not talk about the effect of uh, COVID-19 on uh, the fight business this year. And really, uh, um, you know, the UFC continued in spite of COVID-19. And I think for the most part, they pretty did a pretty decent job. But from what I understand, they're getting a little tighter with their, um, with their bubble at this point. Um, you know, they're not allowing fighters to go out anymore or anything like that. And they just want to make sure they don't get any positive tests during fight week or anything like that. What, it, what, what happened with COVID-19 is what it really did is it killed regional MMA. Okay, and I think that's the biggest yeah, story. Pretty much. Sorry. Yeah, people don't understand. I said most people don't think of MMA. They think when they think of MMA, they think of the UFC. If you weren't a big organization, you can really handle the hit of not having shows or to do all the testing necessary to keep guys fighting. So what's actually happening is there's going to be a lot of regional fighters who are going to take huge step backs or who are going to have to take huge steps forwards that they're not ready for because they don't have any other way to to stay sharp as far as fights or to make money as far as fights. So you're going to see a lot of people fall through the cracks because they are rushed and they get beat out, beat down or because they can't afford to keep fighting and they either retire or they take two or three a year step back in their development because they can't fight at the regional level anymore. Well, we've seen some regional shows come, some of the smaller companies come back like LFA, uh, cage warriors is returned, which is good for Europe. But like, for example, um, you know, casinos, in the U.S. have been running smaller shows for years, and I don't see that returning at this point. It hasn't returned at all. And it's the same thing in Europe. A lot of the smaller companies, smaller regional companies, they haven't returned at all. So it's it's really... Well, that's the thing. It's the overhead's too much. Yeah, that could very well be. The overhead's too much, and, if you, and a, lot of, a lot of those things are built on certain popular fighters being there to sell cards and move, move, move seats. You get somebody come down with a sickness, the whole car could be lost because that's your draw. It's different than the UFC. The UFC is the draw. The brand's the draw. And these regional turn regional MMA things, the fighter is the draw. And if that fighter gets sick, you went from a full house to nothing. And you can't even have a full house right now. You know, they depend on tickets and people being there. UFC doesn't need that. Bellator doesn't need no, that No, well, UFC is going to continue to be doing uh, – we're going to Fight Island in January – we got three shows the first week, January 16th, which is going to be on ABC, January uh, uh, 20th, which is a Wednesday. That's going to be uh, a fight night. And then the next pay-per-view on the 23rd. Uh, so um, what we're going to do is we're going to take a couple of weeks off and come back, I guess, January 14th and do, the, do a preview of the two upcoming uh, UFC shows and then come back uh, on the Thursday and review those and do the next show after that. Uh, my other podcast will continue because I do the WWE on there as well. And also uh, rising is coming up. And so I'll be covering that as well. Uh, anything else you want to talk about, Sean? No, sir. I think we covered it. Okay. All. Again, just wanted to wish, uh, uh the listeners, uh, uh, happy holidays and all that stuff. Uh, very uh, Merry Christmas and a prosperous New Year. Um, don't forget to check out my podcast at frankp316.blogspot.com and my other podcast at Frank Posen's Big Bad Podcast. If you have any questions or comments for either of my podcasts or my blog, you can leave them on Anchor's voicemail 
And if you would like to subscribe to my podcast, you can do so at Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So on behalf of Schwan Humes, I want to wish everybody out there a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Talk to you later.